Welcome to True House Stories. I am Lenny Fontana coming out of Nueva, New York City. Nueva City, New York. And today I have a special guest who I've known a very, very long time and seen him come up through the great graces of some other great house producers. And he has made a humongous mark in this music industry. Okay. He has a couple of sounds that you can tell it's him. There's the electronic side of him. There's the soulful house sound in him. And then there's this cool Latino tracking thing that he does that we all love. So as a DJ myself, I've supported tons of his records. And he's, he's changed the game in many ways. And the thing is, we were speaking off camera is, is staying in the game and staying relevant and never leaving it. And keep pushing the meter to as far as you can go. This man's name is Harry Romero. What's up, Lenny? <laughs> Harry Chucho Romero. That's quite, that's quite a description. Thank you very much. I'm beyond flattered. <laughs> it's the truth. I tell every I will never say it unless I believe in it and I say it because I care. Thank you, Lenny. But it's a pleasure to be here too, man. I've been I've been watching the True House stories since its inception a couple of years now. So um, I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much for the invite. You're welcome. And you de- and let me tell you, like I asked you when I sent you the message, would you want to do it? You said, hell yeah. And I said, you deserve it. <laughs> you work for that. You work for this. Thanks. So before I get started, how are you? Everything good? Are you traveling constantly? You're back in the game. You're pounding away, aren't you? I'm here, man. You know, I'm here. I'm- I'm in the studio now. When I'm not in the studio, I'm with my wife and my kids. When I'm not doing that, I'm on the road. Um, this weekend, I'm playing in um, for this really cool festival called Clockstock, which is... Oh, yes, I know Clockstock, yeah. Yeah, it's like adult people going out to actually dance. So it's a lot of fun. I've done a couple shows for them, and I'm looking forward to getting back overseas. Um, you know, for a lot of us in this game, London is a very, very, very important and special place so it's my my spiritual home in europe for sure so i'm happy to be back me too i'm on my way friday everybody i'll see you in cardiff i'm in cardiff at la america nice competition to you guys at class (laughs) (laughs) there's so many people to go around that's what i love about england those things you'll hear such and such is playing over here such and such is playing over there it's crazy, but yeah, yeah, yeah. England, England's dope, man. Love it. I love England. I always felt with New York in its own way, you know, yeah, like, like yeah. but not New York. You know, and it, England, England is also one of those places. Like when you you spend some time hopping around Europe, for some reason, when you get back to London, it's you feel like you're home. It's like, oh, oof, that was cool, but now I'm home. You're not home because I don't live in London, but it's you know what I'm saying. It's it's not familiar. Um, that familiar place, and you've you you make so many friends through the years, and you meet so many cool people. So, yeah, looking forward to going there. And um, yeah. everybody, get to that. Was it, where is that clock stock being held again? I can tell oh, you right now. The county yeah. something or um, hold on. If you want, I can actually tell you. Clock stock. Let me go to my thing here. But um, yep. Looking forward to it. It's the twenty fifth. It's in Chelmsford City. Chelmsford City, everyone. Check out. Chelmsford City Racecourse. 
check out Harry Romero at that clock stock. And I'll be playing new stuff, old stuff, unre- unreleased stuff, special edits, and stuff like that. They have a they ha- they kind of have a basic music policy. Or they want stuff yeah. from the nineties and the two thousands, but you know, I was I was trying keep it current as well. So, all right, everyone, <laughs> it's a business now. We got paid commercial over. We paid our sponsors now. As I ask everyone, and I'm going to ask you. How does music find the young choo-choo Harry Romero? Young baby, the young kid. Baby, I mean. Not baby, you know. Well, it it kind of all starts, and I always say this, and um, there's no sense of changing it because it's the truth. It's the, the original person that really got me into music was my father. My father was a record, is a record collector. Um He's the one that had the stereo system that no kid could touch. Don't go near it. Don't even breathe near it. You know, it it was his pride and joy. And the thing with my father is that he listened to everything from salsa to cumbia to merengue to jazz to everything you can imagine. Frank Sinatra, all kinds of stuff. So he's very eclectic in his in his musical musical taste. And I'm one of three. I'm the youngest of three. It's myself, my sister Gina, my brother Sheldon. So he would, on Sundays, he would play music and nobody really wanted to hang out with him. But me, I was always intrigued by it. And he'd play the music and he'd tell me who wrote it, country of origin, when it came out. And he, I would just hang out with him on Sundays and listen to music. So that, to me, kind of, I, I feel like those were the, the early seed plantings of my, of my taste in music, you know, variety. I didn't see music as a kid, you know, I didn't see it as like, oh, this belongs in this box, this belongs. No, it was just music, and it was all different kinds of stuff. So that's when I was a kid. And then as, let's say, we approach 82, 83, I'm about 9, 10 years old, is when I discovered hip-hop, groups like Run DMC. And that was kind of what got me into modern music was the early hip-hop experience, the stuff coming out like Houdini like um run dmc those groups is what really grabbed me and then after that and i'm moving fast but then was latin freestyle so you know become a teenager you get into girls you start going to parties and that and freestyles of popular music in our culture latinos that's what we that was our shit you know what i'm saying it was latin hip-hop that was our shit so you know a lot of tracks had spanish lyrics and spanish producers Puerto Rican singers or whatever. So we kind of just, that was our own shit. So we were really excited. We didn't know at the time. We were just, it was just dope-ass music. You know what I mean? All those After Dark Barriers, Juan Quesquione Cato. Yeah. You have so many names from that era. I remember yeah. it was Louis yeah. Vega. Louis, the, he, the information society, right? People don't know, you know? I talk about that all the time. I remember when he did it. Yeah. So that was so it went from my father to hip hop to freestyle and then for me the bridge between hip hop and house music is freestyle for me now i've had this conversation with other people and they agree and i've spoke to hector romero about it so that's kind of what brought us to house music was freestyle it's it's very weird how that happened so then in the in and when we're DJing, I started DJing real young, 14 years old, whatever, doing parties here and there. 
so in those parties, we were, we were, we had to play hip hop. We had to play reggae. We had to play freestyle house and some, you know, classic, some new wave stuff in the mix, this and that. So when I heard freestyle, I loved it. Then I heard Todd Terry, and then it's a fucking rap from there, dude. Todd is my guy. He's the, my point person. He's my party people. That, because that stuff was being played in the freestyle party. The Giggles record, too, right? Right. Love Letters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, and he did all the choral stuff as well. You know, all the good stuff from choral. So that was, that freestyle was the bridge that got me to house music via Todd Terry. So then I discovered Todd Terry. Then I start realizing he's sampling all these Chicago people. So I look at the Chicago stuff, the stuff on, I don't know, Tracks and Dance Mania and DJ International, you know, you whatever the labels were at the time. And then I discovered Chicago House and I discovered, you know, Fingers Inc. And that kind of stuff. And that's kind of my introduction into house music was that. Now, as far as going out, and experiencing the music, I'm not a garage guy. I'm too young. And even if I was of age, my parents would not let me jump on a train and go to Manhattan here, anybody for that matter. So my experience in clubbing was the Sound Factory Bar Wednesday nights with Louis Vega. That's my paradise garage. That's my, you know, that's my um, loft, if you will. And that's when I remember the first time I walked in that place. And I was just like, what the fuck is this? And the music that I knew that I was buying at the record stores and this and that, then you look over, you see Kenny Dope laughing with Todd Terry and Louie. And this was back when the booth was way up. I don't know. You remember that, right? Well, let me clarify, everybody, to the older crew that's listening to this. Private Eyes was the club sound factory bar became later. So Marsha Stern's in the, in the chat. She remember this. And Private Eyes had the booth high up. And with that crazy club, they used to have the turntables stacked. It was the most stupid setup. So yeah. when Bill Smith got in there, they changed it and they made a proper booth. And you're talking about later on with, with Underground Network. Yes. Yeah. Underground Network and Louis Vega. That's my... That's... I, I always equate it, and I've never done drugs, but I, I'm assuming that once you do a shot of you know, a, a bang of whatever it is, people banging their arms, it's chasing that high. So my career, I can honestly say, I, the best way to describe it is chasing that high of what you heard and your body felt and trying to recreate that experience through music. It's very interesting. And I've only come to realize that is, is through the years and thinking back, it's like I'm constantly just trying to like, for example, that track Night at the Black. The Black is an imaginary club in my brain. So it was a night at this imaginary club where, you know, the guitars and this and that. It's, it's a real kind of weird fucking thing, bro. It's hard to describe. But I guess the point of the story is that in going to Sound Factory and hearing Louie and hearing him play the Nervous track for the first time and just saying, ah, what on earth is going on here? And it's just... Not only did your ears hear it, your body felt it, because the sound system was pretty good in that place, too. So my career has always been trying to recreate how I felt at that time. And what I can tell you is I've been very unsuccessful in trying to recreate it. Which is why I'm still here. 
I'm just like, I'm sorry for laughing when you said I'm very unsuccessful. I'm like, why? Why do you and it's, a bl- and it's a blessing that I've been unsuccessful. Because you're still trying to reach that high? I'm still trying to reach that damn high, bro. And it's like, I've come to understand that that's part of my creative process. And I embrace it. You know, when you're younger, you're a little more, how can I say it? Easily swayed. You don't have the the the, the balls. You don't have the, the, well, you don't have the time in the chair. That comes with experience. It would be a problem. Like, why can't I this? Why can't no? And you trying to make this sound like Todd Terry, and you trying to make this sound like Masters at Work. You trying to make this sound like Derek Carter. Guess what? You just developed your own way of your own sound. So I've embraced that as part of who I am, as part of the creative process. Hundred percent. Okay, so <laughs> that's a lot. Do you have musical training? No, negative. My musical training has all been from sitting shoulder to shoulder with other people. You know, again, part of my story is Eric Marillo. You know, he, he um, we'll get to that. Piece. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, sitting next to one of my one of my close friends, Jose Nunez, sitting next to um, a music uh, great like a Dave Darlington, sitting shoulder to shoulder on hand training. I learned how to mix from watching Dave Darlington mix. And part of my sound is how I mix. So I owe a lot to people that I just mentioned. I don't have any musical training. If you tell me, play it in C minor, I could find C minor on the keyboard, but I have my ears. I trust my ears a lot. And also know when I can't do something, you know, I'll outsource, you know what I mean? But I don't have any musical training per se. But I have a lot of fucking training. <laughs> no, no, you have technical training too. You also understand the whole technical end of making a record. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So let's start with that. You know, okay. So you go from the, the freestyle era to house yeah. music. Yeah. You go to sound factory now. When you go to sound factory bar, were you making record shit? Or no. You weren't. So what were you doing at that time? What was I was, you- a, I was a DJ that wanted to go here. Who the hell was making all these? You know, Saint Etienne, only love can break your heart. Who the hell's making? What what is this? Like I love it. I play it. Like nobody around you telling you what was going on. You would just No, bro. I'm a little Colombian kid in the smack in the middle of New Jersey. We don't I didn't I mean, yeah, I went to Zanzibar, but I, I don't claim I'm a Tony Humphreys dude. No, because again, are my parents gonna let a 16, 17 year old kid go to freaking Newark in the eighties? Hell no, they're not going to let me go. So, you know, I was sheltered, but I was constantly always trying to, 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 to find out, to hear, to investigate. I was, I mean, it took me seven years to get my undergrad from, from Rutgers University because I'd screw off and go to the record store, which was Planet X right down the street from where I had class. <laughs> and, you know, I started DJing already. So it's like, okay, do you go? take your 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 history your art history final or do you go go to LA and play I was going to LA to DJ you know what I mean so um I I didn't have those I sought my influences you understand what I'm saying so you're telling me you had no Google to Google or any of that stuff to go find out who's making this record right if I tell you that in college I'll never forget this and I tell the story to my kids and they think I'm nuts Tell us. They, listen, it was one of those big 
you know, um, theater kind of classes, where whatever they call it. It's an auditorium, right? So the guy gets on the mic. He's like, listen, for this class, you're going to need an email, this. And I'm like, email? What the hell is email? <laughs> I don't need this class. Email. What the hell is this? Exactly what I said. What is an email? Right. So that goes to show you how if you wanted to know something, you have to go lift up the rocks. You have to go open the box. You have to go look. You have to seek. You know, so that's kind of where I come from. And and ironically enough, I think that the first time I went to Sound Factory Bar was obviously because I knew Louie was DJing. I'm a huge fan of Louie since, you know, 87, 88, whatever. And one of the guys that wanted me to go was a dancer. He said, yo, come. I'm like, all right, fuck it, let's go. So we went, and then that's when I experienced those experiences, the, the first crack of the, first hit of the crack pipe, so to speak. And that's like they say, don't, 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 don't take that crack pipe because you may never come back off it. Well, I'm, I'm still on it, bro. <laughs> the musical crack pipe. But you know what I hear from people over the years with me? Now, I'll, I'll share this say. They say to me, you still got the same enthusiasm. I said, yeah, because I love the music. 100%. It comes down to it comes down to the love of the music, the love of the craft. And although I do have my college education, I, I heard somebody explain this before. It's like, once you get a plan B, it's a wrap. You can't have a plan B. You also have to have realistic goals and realistic dreams, right? There's something called a pipe dream back to the pipe. But like, I'm not going to sit here and say, yeah, I'm going to produce an album and I'm going to get five Grammys next year. That's a pipe dream. But we still have a lot to say musically. There's still a lot of things that I want to explore. Sorry, go ahead. There's still a lot of things I want to explore on the artistic side and, and pushing the sound, the barriers of sound and just, you know, personal goals I have for myself. Sorry. Okay, keep going. Yo, Lenny, what up? It's Harry. What are you doing? Hey, I'm okay. How are you? <laughs> I don't know why it's coming through. It shouldn't be coming through. Sorry, everybody. I have it on Do Not Disturb. It's still coming through. I'm like, what is... Ugh. All right. Put on, put on airplane mode. Yeah, that's it. That's what I'm going to do right now, actually. Done. I shut the damn thing off. Goodbye. <laughs> so, we were saying... I'm sorry. So back to where you were again um if i remember correctly i asked that question about sound factory bar and louis okay and your parents and i can understand your parents being concerned and i've talked about this in my own life back in the 80s the drugs were so bad in new york city Times Square was, that's where I got my first identification card, people, at Playland. So I go out to the clubs with a fake ID. But here I had, I had my cousin's ID. I gave him his license because in those days they didn't have the pictures on it. So I can understand what you're saying about a religious family that says, you ain't going to New York City. You know, you're not going there. My parents left New York City. (laughs) Garbage, bring me to a better life, and you're coming back. Yeah. Yeah, no, they put a kibosh on that real quick. But yet, it's like Sodom and Gomorrah. So that you know you can't go, you got to say to yourself, I got somehow to find my way over that water or under that water. Yeah, under for me, yeah. Yeah, and and you know what's funny? It's like a a lot of guys, their points of reference are things that I never experienced. Again, going back to 
the loft, going back to Paradise Garage. Going, I ne- I'll be honest with you, and I have no shame in saying this. I never heard Junior Vasquez DJ in my life. To this day still? To this day, I've never heard him DJ. Wow. Right? And that sounds crazy as hell from someone that, that grew up 30 minutes from, from Manhattan, right? I never heard him play. But you know what? I'm not saying it would have been a bad thing. It would have been a great thing because, I, you know, I would have loved to experience it. But it's kind of, I, I, how can I put this? I have my own influences, right? And they're not the obvious ones. I so, just, tell us, so now tell us who they are. Well, my dad. Okay, yeah, we gave you father number one. Yeah, my influences, again, it starts with Todd. And I tell Todd all the time, it's your fault. Like, well, we'll bump into each other in like Athens airport, tired as I'm like, Todd, this is all your fault. <laughs> so definitely my biggest influence is musically, as far as house music, Todd, Kenny Louie, Derek Carter, um, Mood to Swing, Lemon John. Um, uh, off the top of my head, those are the, 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 the ones that really spoke to me. And the drums, man. I'm a drum guy. Like, if you listen to all my music, it's all based on drums. And they're not like, let's just throw in a kick, a hi-hat, and a snare, or a clap. My drums speak like music. So the music is really just filling in the gaps that the drums couldn't fill in. It's very interesting how I approach my, my music production. But those are my main influences, 100%. Okay, so now let's talk about the first record you make okay the first one i got signed well the first record you make to get you over the line of being a dj and getting you into this production world all right so it's a little fuzzy and i say this because when i we (laughs) a couple of beers when you're doing it it's just time has made it fuzzy right so at the time do you remember you would go you would do the rounds right you go to nervous you go to strictly you go to emotive, whatever, whatever. And that day I made the rounds and I went, I saw Gladys and then I saw DJ Duke at uh, Power Music, Sex Mania. Remember those labels? Yep. All right. Gladys picked up one of them, which is a track called Urban Turban for Strictly Rhythm. The artist was Sulfuric. That's before, you know, uh, the guys, uh, what's so Brian, Brian and Mark. Brian and, and Mark, yeah. Um, and then I signed two other ones. I forgot the names of them. One was on Sex Mania. The other one was on Power Music. I signed those three tracks. I came home with $4,500 in checks. Mind you, I was 20 years old. I'm like, I'm fucking loaded. <laughs> I thought it was rich because I made no money. I'm you know rich, I mean? bitch. I'm rich. Yeah, man. So it's fuzzy to know which one was first, but I think. Release-wise, the first one was Urban Turban on Strictly Rhythm. What's up, Gladys? Hope you're watching. Gladys Pizarro gets the first. She, she, I tell you, that girl discovered more of the house producers than anybody else I know. She is, she is the queen of all this, man. And I, um, old records and all. Keep going. She doesn't get, she doesn't get enough accolades. But um, yeah. So it, it was those things, and I remember, I distinctly remember this. I was in my old pickup truck with my girlfriend at the time, which is now my wife, Jessica Romero, Jessica Eve Romero. And we were driving somewhere in down here in Jersey on like Route 35 or whatever. And remember Glenn Frisha? 
Glenn Frisch is another one, another one that doesn't get enough accolades. He broke so many records, man. So many records, he doesn't get the props. What's up, Glenn Frischer? Big love. So anyway, we're driving, and my song comes on, Urban Turban, on the radio. I will never forget it. Whatever station he was doing the live mix on. Hot 97 at that time. I think it was Hot 97, yeah. And I remember pulling over, and I look at my girlfriend, which is now my own, like, can you believe this? And, you know, we were all happy, excited. That was my first... That was the first sign of, you know, the the God, universe, whatever the hell they call it nowadays, is saying, you know what? There's something here that you can do. There's there's something, you have something to say in this genre. And, you know, the history speaks for itself. I've been able to, to acquire an amazing discography. I've been collaborating with some amazing people and this and that. But that was really the beginning. That was when I said I could do something with this and that feeling was very important. And I still, I still keep it in, in, in high regard to this day. I'll never forget it. I mean, how do you, how do you, you always remember the first time you hear something on the radio. At least I do. Right. Hell yeah. Here's the next question I'm going to ask you. Did you do those records all by yourself or were you, and, and and also the curve in those days of learning all this gear. Were you already, did you have somebody muse you, like show you some pointers or you, and then you figured it out yourself or were you around some? Well, I, I kind of, I, I kind of had Jose Nunez. We, we fed off each other. Now those records I did all by myself, but the beauty of it was I didn't know how to mix. They were all done. I would literally go to a studio in Hackensack that me and Jose were part of. Um, and I'd just go there with my um, with my sampler. And I think I would actually go with my computer, too. My whole freaking studio. I'd take it up there. We'd put it up on an old Tascam 25-24 mixing board. And he would mix because he went... Please search for part two of this podcast on the platform you're watching or listening to. And please do not forget to follow us.